Well, we're going to uh, take on our last part of this book of James, this letter that James wrote to the churches. And in doing so, we're trying to bring some closure, but of course we realise that James doesn't actually bring closure in a traditional way. He's giving it to us right until the last full stop. So uh, we've got to get on board for a ride this morning because James doesn't move like other letters into greeting people like Paul does and saying goodbye, but he's just, he's right there telling us what we've got to hear. So let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this letter that has given us so much inspiration, so much life. It's given us uh, an insight into what it is that you require from us as followers of Jesus. And in doing so, Lord, it's challenged us, it's encouraged us, it's intimidated us. At the same time, it's given us strength to see beyond ourselves. And so, Father, as we open up Scripture this morning, we just want to pray, Lord, that your, your Spirit would lead us and guide us and the promptings that you would give to each one of us today uh, will glorify you, we pray, in Jesus' name. Well, I've called this message today a life of faith, and it's really a summary. It's a way in which we're trying to say, look, all of what James has had to say to us now comes down and culminates in these last few verses. Uh, James has already spoken to us about trials, in our life and how we're supposed to take joy in those trials because they give opportunity for perseverance. And we laughed with James and laughed at James and then were sobered by James when we realized that he was actually quite serious about this. We realized that trials are certainly the things that challenge us and change us. And we realized that you can't get a breakthrough until you hit the wall. Do you like that? Can't get a breakthrough until you hit the wall. Well, we, we like the idea of a breakthrough. It's just kind of painful when you hit the wall. Is that true? It's been my experience anyway. Of course, listening and doing, faith and deeds, uh, these things are all tied together in such a way that we are uh, moving into integrity and not having hypocrisy when it comes to what we believe versus what we do. We're wanting those to be tied together. What we believe and what we do are the same things. And that in itself is a challenge for us, isn't it? Because there's always that battle between the flesh and the spirit. You know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is is weak, and we find ourselves in that continual wrestling match, trying to bring into submission what it is that the Spirit would be leading us to, and yet the flesh seems to hold back. Uh, we've, to- we've talked about wisdom, wisdom that comes from God, wisdom that is good and pure, uh, that comes down from the Father, and uh, we are never going to lack wisdom because all we have to do is ask, and God gives generously, generously, and... Uh, while I'm here talking about wisdom today, um, I just want to say, point out to you that uh, there's a couple here today who have just celebrated 60 years of marriage this week, Claire and Trevor, and to get that far, there must have been a lot of wisdom and love. Why don't you just stand up and we can just celebrate with you. <laughs> must have been a child bride, Trevor. Hey. Eh? Must have been a child bride. So we find ourselves now um, drawing this letter to a close. And, um, and James says to us, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Let them pray. Any of you is in trouble, let them pray. And this might seem like a really obvious thing to say, but it's not always our first default, is it? Our first default can be, I'm in trouble, I need to panic. Okay, panicking can be a default setting for some people. Okay, or I'm in trouble, I need to ring my 
best friend or ring my mum, uh, whatever it might be, I'm in trouble. Uh, some years ago, many years ago, 30 years ago, Michaela and I returned from the UK and uh, we had been travelling around the UK, Australia, came back and we were working as managers in a motor lodge up in Auckland for a year. And uh, we were in South Auckland and it had some interesting dynamics. Um, dare I say that the neighbours were always keen to find out what the tourists were bringing into the country. <laughs> and, um, and so we would often have some engagement with the police. And so Michaela and I had this, this thing all sorted, whereby um, if we heard an odd noise or we got a phone call uh, at night, I'd get out of bed and I'd go around, check out what was happening, with Michaela literally there on the phone, ready to dial 999. And, um, and that was where the problem was. Because uh, for all of our good intentions of, of uh, trying to find the burglars and beat up the robbers, or they were going to beat up me probably. Um, Michaela was poised, ready to ring Scotland Yard, <laughs> because we'd failed to realise that 999 is the UK 111 is actually New Zealand, you see. So she was like, so you just get ready to phone 999, Michaela, yeah? Yes. <laughs> Scotland Yard. I don't think it would have worked, but the, the trick here is that uh, whoever you call to is going to actually make a difference. And so James says, when you're in trouble, let them pray. Let yourself be led into a time of prayer. And it takes a huge amount of discipline, doesn't it? When all of your emotions are being driven in one direction, when you're upset, you're concerned, and you're impassioned about something that's not going well, to stop and say, ho, 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 hold on. Before we go any further, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's just give a moment of time here to God and allow him to guide us and lead us. And it takes a huge amount of discipline because, as I say before, that battle between the flesh and the spirit, the flesh would, would rather react, respond, get passionate about the problem or upset about the problem and, uh, and, and demand a little bit of attention. Whereas James says, just if you're in trouble, pray. That's a good little bit of wisdom, isn't it? So simple, but it's such a challenging thing to do. And... Uh, we're told also by James, following on from that, if anyone is happy, let them sing songs of praise. Let them sing songs of praise. Now, the thing about worship is that worship should reflect the nature of our heart, the condition of our heart. And, and worship needs to be an overflow of that experience we have of joy and confidence about who we are in Christ. But the biggest challenge that we have with worship is that we often think worship is for us. You know, we go home, how was the worship today? Oh, I didn't like it. Oh, really? I didn't know we were worshipping you, you know? <laughs> but so often we hear this. You know, I have conversations with people who say, oh, I like coming to your church because I like the music. I'm like, oh. The idea is that I'm hoping God would come to our church because he likes the music, you know? Um, or I went to that other church because I enjoy the worship there. It's just so crazy, isn't it? It's like saying, I baked you a cake and it tasted really good. Does that make sense? I baked you a cake and it tasted really good. In other words, I baked you a cake and I ate it. Yeah. Why? Because worship isn't about me. Isn't it about my favorite songs, hymns and psalms? Isn't it about actually whether I can uh, linger in the spirit at the right amount of time for the right reason and whether the worship leader was sensitive enough to do this, that or the other and the musicians hit all the right notes? Um, it's a funny old dynamic, isn't it? 
It's a funny old dynamic. Uh, worship is about an attitude of the heart, and it should be an overflow of what it is that we feel towards God, and particularly uh, you know, what Christ has done for us on the cross. If that doesn't bring praise and joy to our spirit, then nothing ever will. And worship comes in all sorts of forms, doesn't it? In as much as uh, we know that there can be uh, acts of servanthood and, uh, and fellowship and hospitality, all of these things are an act of servanthood. Uh, a couple of years ago, Michaela and I were in Rome, and uh, it was a beautiful night, beautiful Monday night actually, and we'd got told by some people who we'd met a month earlier that when you're in Rome, you should go across town from the other side from the Vatican City, and there's a monastery, a training monastery, and it's up on this big high hill. And I've forgotten the name of it now. I should have done my homework a bit more, but probably wouldn't have meant much to you anyway. So Michaela and I went there on a Monday evening, and there the Gregorian chants were being done or led by 40 to 50 50, uh, young and old uh, priests, or monks actually. And so we walked in, and we were there right on time, Michaela and I, and one other guy, I think, who slept on the street. And uh, these monks filed out in perfect order, found their places, and then just opened up. And it was just a spellbinding experience. And here we were in this huge church, and there were three of us there listening in. And uh, it was one of those things where that's their spiritual discipline, and it's a spiritual discipline that represents their joy And it was absolutely amazing for us. And when they'd finished, they simply got up, went, and we found out later on they were off off to dinner. And and that was all there was to it. It was part of their spiritual discipline and spiritual rituals. But worship can come from any instrument as long as it comes from the heart of a person who is joyful. And uh, James says, if anyone is happy, let them sing songs of praise. Okay, it's really a simple thing, but let's just keep working hard. Our flesh always wants to be ministered to, and it always tries to get in that place of the Lord himself, and uh, we think that worship is about, is about us. It's not. It's, um, it's about the Lord. So, James continues on, and he says now some really wonderful words. He says, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Well, we could camp out on these scriptures here for probably a couple of months because the, the power behind these, the inference behind these are huge in as much as they pull together a whole lot of doctrinal uh, statements and ways of life and beliefs. And so we're just going to go through a few of those today because there's really a lot to say here. Um, firstly, I'm just going to pull words out of here. So the first word is sick, okay? Not sick as in the millennial way of saying sick, where it's like, man, that was so totally sick. It's like, man, that just went off, you know? Like a, a surfer talking about a wave or something. I'm talking about someone who's <coughs> dying, all right? And, uh, and so what we're told here is if you're sick, you should seek prayer. It's that same thing. If you're in trouble, you should pray. And I think it's really, really important for us to, to stop and to give God the opportunity to be part of the healing process, if not the complete healing process, 
in our lives. The Western world, you know, as soon as we sniffle and snuffle, we're on the phone or off to the chemist. And again, we need to make sure we give room for God. And I'm not talking here about a, um, a foolish ignorance that says that you shouldn't approach difficulties with your health in a, in a uh, mature and confident way approaching a medical professional. But we should also be part, this also should be part of our, our plan. But we need to pray. We need to pray. And when we're, when we're sick, this is all about us, again, putting the Lordship of Christ in the right place. Because the only prayers that God will never answer are the ones that aren't prayed. Okay? And we live in a tension, don't we? Between the prayers that are answered and the prayers that aren't answered. And every one of us has been exposed to those difficult situations where people are unwell and they die before their time, according to our, according to our calendar. Um, the founding pastor of this church, Tom Frew, I can remember him speaking many years ago at an evening service at Otomotai Baptist. And uh, he said, folks, tonight I'm going to talk about why God doesn't heal some people. So we all were there leaning into this talk. And he was explaining how God had healed different people and he hadn't healed different people. And then he said, and my great conclusion is this, the reason why God doesn't heal some people is, I don't know. I don't know. Now, I wish we could have a little bit more control of God than that. Don't you? I wish I was God in times when I would make decisions that suit me. The difficulty is, of course, as we've described, as has been described to us in James, is that we will, we will suffer in suffering, we will persevere in perseverance. And it means that all of our life is encompassed by God's plan for our lives. And, and we need to pray, we need to ask God to be a part of things that we are struggling with. And sickness is one of those things. And honestly, over the years, I've been absolutely blown away by how God has broken into people's lives and brought healing in their lives. And yet, at the same time, I've been completely devastated by times when things like this haven't occurred, when healing hasn't occurred. And all of you will be in a similar situation for various reasons. But we get to that place where we realize that our responsibility is to pray and to pray the prayer of faith, and as we'll see in a moment, anoint people with oil, with integrity and with sincerity, and then we've got to hand that over to God. Okay, But don't avoid the opportunity to pray. That's really important. Otherwise, the life of faith you lead is actually a life that is segmented into departments where you only take things um, that are important to you for God to consider, or maybe just where your faith is, Got, you've got enough faith and say, I'll pray about this. I haven't got enough faith for this, so I won't pray about that. Okay, so you can't have a life that's chopped into segments and pieces. So James's answer is pray about everything. Pray about, pray about things when you're in trouble. Pray about things when you're sick. The next thing James mentions is when you're sick, you call upon the elders and they will pray for you. Now, in the setting in James we're talking about a very, very young church. Okay, probably no one in the churches that he was talking to had actually been born into a faith tradition of Christianity. These folks were all new to the faith. And so when we look at our setting, say, at BBC here, what I'm excited by is that we have a lot of mature people. 
For example, those who are helping hosting and leading our life groups are exactly in that category. Uh, people who fulfill the expectations of an elder as described to us in, uh, in Timothy and other areas where we are mature in the faith, we have respect, we're responsible, people of prayer, people of integrity. And in being so, we actually say we're fulfilling the role of an elder. I wouldn't expect any less behavior, good behavior from somebody who's leading a life group than I would from anybody who holds the official office of elder. Now, presently in our church, we have five elders, and so it would be impractical. We'd wear them out within about a month if we had them running around praying for people, anointing them with oil. And so I just want to say that this term of having elders anoint you is, I understand what's saying. It's setting a standard here of confidence and responsibility and respect and trust. But, but presently, as we are, there are a lot of people who fulfill that that same place, and so I'm more than comfortable, and I think the Lord would be too, he'd demand that, not demand, but require that all of us would pray for one another. Uh, James says that the elders would anoint people with oil. Now, oil is a symbol of the Spirit of God, and so it's an outward sign of what we trust will be a spiritual event. Okay? Now, you can use any oil. Don't get hung up, Okay? Don't get hung up by this. You know, oops, we haven't got the, the right oil from Israel that I should have bought at the bookshop the other day. Okay, that doesn't really matter. Okay, I'd avoid <clears throat> uh, 30, 40 engine oil because that can be a bit rough on the skin. But anything that you would cook with um, is perfectly fine. It's actually not the oil. It's the symbolism and the respect to the Word of God that you're actually bringing to this, uh, to this event of prayer. And uh, don't ever be um, naive enough to think that this is just a symbolic gesture. This is something that is very powerful. And in itself, it's an opportunity for God to, to bless and encourage and strengthen people around the word and to be together to see God do something powerful amongst you. And then, of course, we're told after the anointing, we are to pray and then James says that in this situation, you'll be raised up. Now, this is the same uh, description here as what Christ was when he was raised from the dead. Okay, so James has been very intentional about using this word raised because the inference is just like Christ was raised, we too can be raised from being sick. And then James goes on to talk about, uh, and if any of you have sinned, uh, you too confess your sins and you will be forgiven. Now, the big challenge with us here is these words can get us into a lot of trouble is because James ties really, really closely this, this issue of sickness with sin because we're told that we should confess our sins as part of the process of healing. And so we get an idea now of what James is actually communicating. He's saying that this sickness that we're talking about is bigger than physical sickness. It's talking about spiritual sickness as well. Okay? Because these, th these things are intimately related. Uh, just in the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about uh, um, health in New Zealand and the suggestions being made that 70 to 80% of doctors' visits come back to a stress-related issue. Okay? So I, I don't know whether that's true or not, but it's really high. 
And stress is that tension between who I am and who I want to be, or who I am and what I'm capable of, who I am and the demands being put upon me. Okay, so there's a, a lack of syncretism. Uh, you've, lost your, you've lost your peace, essentially. Okay, and that can cause physical problems. And so James is putting it out there that you need to confess your sins to one another. Let's just remind ourselves of this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Okay? So when you stop and when you pray, you've got to stop and take stock of your whole life. Not just, oh, I've got a sore leg. Can you pray for that? Okay? This is an opportunity for you to say, okay, Lord, I'm yours completely. What in this moment of time can I actually bring to the party? Oh, yeah, Lord, I... I really need to get this right with my neighbor or my spouse or my children or my boss or my employees or my friend. Any of these things that have gone unattended, this is an opportunity for them to be put right. In the same manner when Paul said, uh, if any of you have got something against a brother or a sister, before you take communion, you should leave your gift at the altar, go and rectify that, and then carry on your worship. So James here is picking up a really, really important tradition where he's saying, look, come and get things put right with God so that everything is included in this process of healing. It's not just the physical healing, it's the emotional healing. And I've had enough experience over the years to see how people will come and talk about some deep, deep trials. And when we put those trials in the right place, as God brings order into a person's life, a lot of the physical symptoms of pain and sickness and illness will disappear at the same time, okay? Because you're whole as in holistic, okay? So you can't avoid, you can't avoid that. Now, this second verse, sorry, the second line of this verse here says this, that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I'll just bring that up on its own. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Okay, when you read that, how many of you feel righteous enough to pray for somebody in an effective way? Just put your hand up. Right. We've got a problem. See, if you understood what this covenant really means that we're part of, every one of you should have put your hand up who's a follower of Jesus. Yeah, the enemy works really, really, really hard to discredit us in respect to our self-confidence and what it is that we have been given in Christ. You see, the, right, the righteous person, who's a righteous person? We're told that no one is righteous, not even one. So where does our righteousness come from? Our righteousness is credited to us because Christ died on the cross for us and my sins are forgiven. So therefore... When we're looking for a righteous person whose prayer is going to be powerful and effective, James is looking ultimately for any person who is forgiven, uh, who is a practicing Christian, who can see themselves as one who is open and available to God, and your righteousness is a gift from him being credited to you. You know, it's, I, I know my own spiritual journey, um, even, even in times of ministry, until this this. It's a doctrine, really, but it's more than a doctrine. It's a, it's, a, it's a revelation of God's gift of love to us. Until this has come fully formed in your life, 
you have this hesitation all the time, which is what we just saw now. And that is like, someone will come to you and say, hey, look, can you pray for me? And the first thing that goes through your mind is, I'm not up for this. I just had a, had a Barney with a wife, you know. I just kicked the dog before I left home. You know, I'm really grumpy with my children or I'm grumpy with my parents, okay? And so immediately the enemy is telling you, you're not good enough. You're not righteous enough. Well, okay, I'm not talking about leaving those things unattended. But the scriptures tell us that our righteousness is a gift from God. So therefore, you have the freedom and the ability and the authority to pray for people. Does that make sense? I just, I just, if anything you hear today is this, this is all I want you to hear, to be perfectly honest. Because for James to say this, the prayers of a righteous person is powerful and effective, um, all of a sudden you're left measuring yourself. Okay, And that is not what James is wanting us to say. He's wanting to affirm the body of Christ as being the bride of Christ. And the bride of Christ is righteous. It is a bride. It is, it is perfect. It is sinless. Okay, The Apostle Paul put it this way, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the, let's say it, right we might become the righteousness of God. Then, because we are the righteousness of God, our prayers are powerful and effective. Yeah? But the enemy would say to you, the devil would say to you, no, you're not good enough. Yeah, your thought life is, is rubbish. You know? Oh, you need to have studied this, or you should be able to you know, recite the book of Leviticus backwards, wrote, you know? all these good things that somehow in your imagination you feel are going to earn for you a right for righteousness. By definition, righteousness is a gift, and you walk in it, you receive it. Hebrews puts it this way. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Okay? Some of your Bibles will have that word confidence, and it will say, enter this, approach God's throne of of grace with boldness or boldly, okay? Well, you can only enter with confidence or boldness when you know who you are, you know? When my kids want to come and talk to me saying, Dad, I need your help, you know, they just come bowling in wherever I am. Dad, I need your help. I'm like, hey, I'm yours. How can I help, you know? And that's what we're told to take that picture, that image, and enter boldly into the presence of God, and the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. Remember that we are normal people and we serve a supernatural God. What happens for us is we, somehow in this distorted way in which we view the world, we're trying to turn ourselves into a supernatural person so that we can have supernatural prayers. Okay? Does that make sense? You, you know, you're natural. You might be a super person, but you're natural. Okay? And, and God is supernatural, so it's that fusion, that connection that gives us the confidence to be able to enter boldly. 
So James now goes on and, and reinforces what I've been saying here when he says, Elijah was a human being. <laughs> what was he? He was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Why is James telling us about Elijah? He's telling us about Elijah because Elijah was a normal man, a regular human being. We simply prayed according to the will of God, and God answered his prayers. Okay? He was a normal human being serving a supernatural God. And then James says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of of sins. And this is where James finishes. James doesn't say, I will give my greetings to Fred, Mary, Bill, and Martha. Um, And please, like like Paul said, please when you come, could you remember to bring my coat? I left it behind last time. Okay, which is quite amusing. It's quite quite loving, actually. But we're told here by James that there are people who will wander from the truth. And we have a responsibility to bring them back so that on that day that they will be able to be found in Christ and that their righteousness will be credited to them because of their faith in Jesus, nothing of their own. And so it's, it's, a, it's a, a really, I wouldn't say stern, but a, a strong, strong directive from James at the end here, saying, look, you're all in this together and it's our responsibility to draw people back into the faith, and whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways, they will be saved from a multitude of sins. Now, these, uh, these sins are all ours, and we all have a multitude of sins. We all have a multitude of sins, but we're told that the blood of Christ covers all of them. And so as we turn people away from sin and error, we tour on that journey, and we will also be found in that righteousness that Christ has gifted to us. So here James finishes. And we get right at the very back of this book, the last two verses, and we find we understand why James wrote the letter. See, James has addressed people who have run away from the faith because of trials and temptations, suffering, uh, people who have been broken by other people's words, Uh, People who have been hypocritical where their their words and their deeds don't align with one another and have made a mess of the fellowship, mess of the church, ruined the reputation of the church in the town where these folks are living. And, And so all of what James has been saying is to remind people of the fact that narrow is the road that leads. not And wide is the road to destruction, that's inferred, but narrow is the road. And James calls us back, and we are to call others back to this place. And there we find that the righteousness of God, the blood of Christ, covers over a multitude of sins. So it's a very, very powerful way in which James finishes, and he reminds us of his intent of why he wrote this letter in the first place. And so for James, he'd be asking us these same questions. 
How can we help others? How can we pray for others? How can we encourage others? To bring them to that place where the blood of Christ covers that multitude of sins. And for us as a community to remind ourselves that regardless of what we do, the goal as a church is to help other people come to know Christ. And not to be preoccupied with things that can draw us away from this, this, uh, this huge divine endeavor that we've been put on this earth to, to do, but to remind us that everything we do is about helping other people know Jesus. Well, I'm going to finish here, but I think today after we've uh, just rediscovered what righteousness actually means, um, there should be a lot of people here feeling confident about praying for others if you're unwell. So uh, as Darren and the team come out and lead us in a, in a final song this morning, I'd really like you to take the opportunity to seek somebody for prayer. And we have folks here who will be able to anoint you with oil and uh, ask you just to bring what it is that's your concern, physical concern or even spiritual concern, and have someone pray for you, lay hands upon you, and allow you to experience that, that grace of God. All you have to do is bring your request and God will meet you and help you in your time of need. So why don't we stand and I'll pray. Father, we thank you that for James, this story is just beginning, it's not ending. Because as he looks around the world, he sees with your eyes as we want to see with your eyes. That there is a multitude of people who need to know you. And we, Lord, are drawn to that great commission. That great commission that says, wherever I go, I need to be open for business for you. And so, Lord, we, we just pray that you would give us a godly, godly burden for the lost. That we would see folks as you see them, love them as you love them. In the same way, Lord, we, we just want to reach out to you today. As your word says that if we have a need, we should, we should pray. In the same way, if any of us are in trouble, we should pray. Any of us lack wisdom, we should pray. So James's answer, as should our be, ours be, is that wherever we have need, Lord, we would come to you and we would pray. And we want to thank you, Lord, that as we pray in faith and as we anoint people with oil, we can have this high expectation that you're going to meet us. And regardless of difficult experiences, you are still Lord of all. The gift of righteousness you've given to us is something that we've never earned. We've never bought or paid for. It's just that divine gift of grace. And so we thank you, Father that being your children, we can enter boldly into your presence, boldly, and bring our requests to you. So we ask all of this so that Jesus is glorified in our midst. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you want to just come forward and have people pray for you, please, please don't hesitate. This is an opportunity. And uh, I just want to invite the prayer team to come forward now. And uh, just allow this to be an opportunity for God to be glorified. Thank you.